Pastor Chris's podcast. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and it's the day we commemorate Jesus entering into Jerusalem, where the people were praising him and waving palm branches and calling him the King of the Jews. And as we remember this remarkable occasion, I want to continue with our series as we've been examining and comparing the conventional wisdom of the world with what Jesus actually said. And so today we'll consider the common expression, you've got to fight fire with fire. When someone says that you have to fight fire with fire, it means that you fight against an opponent using the same methods or weapons that they use. Fighting fire with fire is is an actual firefighting technique that developed in the 19th century to combat forest fires. And so the way this works is if you've got a, a forest fire raging out of control, burning through the forest, burning up acres and acres of trees, firefighters will often come in and try to get ahead of the fire and they will intentionally have a controlled burn to burn a strip of trees in a, in a, you know, a wide strip of trees. And that way, so suppose the, the trees are burning and the wind is blowing it and then they will get to that open section that has been burned and there's no more trees to burn so the fire can't spread any further. So they, that is an actual technique that they use. Of course, it's an effective technique if you make that strip wide enough But there's also the danger when you do it that you could lose control of your controlled burn because guess what? Fire doesn't like to be controlled. It likes to just do what it does. And sometimes that does happen. And sometimes they will have a controlled burn that will get out of control and it makes the fire even bigger. But the the, the technique is still used and it has its place. And it's one thing to burn uh, forests of trees But can you imagine, and I didn't find this in my research, didn't know if this was actually something that happened, but what would it look like to use a controlled burn in an urban setting? You know, what would that be like? Have they ever done that in the history of the world? I don't know, but what would it be like if somebody came and knocked on your door and these firefighters are all outside and said, you've got to evacuate right now. There's a fire raging in the neighborhood next to yours and we're going to burn your house down to stop it. That would be crazy. I don't know how I would feel about that. And I don't know if people have ever done that in the history of the world, but there's something about human nature um, and the fallenness of it that tells me that that's a likely thing to happen. And that might tell you a little bit about the, the sorry nature of the human soul that that would even be a possibility or that I would think that that was a possibility, but I don't know if that's ever happened or not. But usually when people say you've got to fight fire with fire, they're not talking about forest fires. What they mean is that if someone is rude to you, you be rude back to them. If someone starts a nasty rumor about you, you get together with some of your friends and you start a nasty rumor about them. Fight fire with fire. Or in a, in a larger context, in a communal context, if another nation sinks one of your ships, you sink one or two or three of their ships. Or if a nation drops a bomb on one of your territories, 
then you drop a bomb on one of their territories. You fight fire with fire. That's kind of the way that expression works. Fighting fire with fire in these contexts just seems natural because that's who we are as people. We don't like it when someone attacks us and we attack them back. Do unto others what they have done unto you. But what did Jesus say? In the golden rule, quoting Leviticus 19, 18, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it's a subtle difference, but it makes a world of difference. The one says, the world says, treat others the way they have treated you. But Jesus says, treat people the way you want them or would want them to treat you. And that's the way he lived. Jesus had the opportunity to fight fire with fire. As he entered into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, he had all of the support of the people in the town. Crowds of people were shouting his praises. They'd heard of his wonderful miracles, of his powerful teaching. They, had, they were looking forward to a king who would come in to free them from Roman oppression and restore the power and dignity of Israel's glory days. And here comes Jesus. Could Jesus be the one? Because they've heard of all these wonderful things that he's done. Driving out demons, making blind people be able to see again, feeding multitudes, and even raising Lazarus from the dead. Could Jesus be the long-awaited Messiah who would fight fire with fire? Well, let's look at the story. It comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, and verse, we'll be reading today, verse 36 through 44. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, Rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, we've known about Palm Sunday, if we've ever gone to church, uh, if we have any history with that, we've, we've seen the kids waving palm branches and it's a, it's a joyous thing that we remember. But we might not know that this was really a patriotic setting. This is a patriotic scene we're reading about. The people of Jerusalem loved their country. They had a lot of pride 
and who they were as people, just like many people in America love our country. And so as they're waving their palm branches, it's very much similar to what we do. Now, it, it seems weird. I've always thought as a child growing up in the church, it was weird that they'd be waving palm branches. But when we go to a parade at 4th of July, people will be going down as we're standing waiting for the parade. People will be going down and passing out flags. And we'll get those flags and we will wave them. It's very similar to what they were doing with those palm branches. Palm branches were a nationalist symbol in Jerusalem. Palm branches were carved on Jerusalem's temple walls and on the doors. Kings and conquerors were welcomed back to Israel after a victory while people would wave palm branches and strove them across the ground for them to ride across. So as people were waving their palm branches for Jesus, they were waving their national symbol of victory. They were saying, he's the one. He's the one who's going to save us from the Romans. He's the one that's finally going to win the victory. And they even shouted a word that has become a church word for us today. We put it in our praise songs. We sing it in our hymns. They were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which originally translated something like, please save us now. Please save us now. But how does one save a nation like Israel? Well, one way, the natural way people would immediately turn to would be to fight fire with fire. You could raise up an army to fight the Romans. And here was Jesus, a man who had a huge following. He was a man who was popular, people looked up to. He seemed to have power, he could do miracles, and people were looking to him. He could be the one that could unify enough people to raise up an army to fight the Romans. But that just seemed like such a long shot. How could you do that? Rome was the most powerful empire in the world. Everywhere they went, every army that tried to stand against them was defeated. They were too organized. They had too much, too many resources. They knew how to, to fight wars, not just win battles, but win wars. And they might lose a battle, but then they would retreat and regroup and come back with you at you harder. And they were going to win everywhere they went. They won. But Israel Israel was nothing. They'd been under Roman rule for so many decades. They had no standing army that, was, that could even attempt to fight against the Roman legions. This was impossible. Another way that you could maybe fight fire with fire was through guerrilla warfare. Oftentimes, people who are uh, fighting against a much stronger opponent will try to do a, a war, a guerrilla war, behind the scenes. This is where um, you don't try to meet them on the battlefield, but you ambush them and you fight behind the scenes. You murder their uh, political leaders or people who sympathize with your enemy. You um, attack Roman soldiers when they're walking down the street and kill them. And this was something that was going on in the Jerusalem in which Jesus entered on Palm Sunday. 
People felt like the only thing they could do was fight like this. As a matter of fact, you may have heard of a man named Barabbas. We hear about Barabbas on Good Friday. Pilate's trying uh, Jesus. And Pilate thinks Jesus is not guilty of anything worthy of being crucified. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll release one of the prisoners. And he goes before the, the crowd and he says, do you want me to release Jesus or do you want me to release Barabbas? And who did the crowd choose? They chose Barabbas. And many scholars say that Barabbas was a freedom fighter, a guerrilla soldier who would kill Roman soldiers and fight behind the scenes. That's one way you could fight fire with fire. But that's not what Jesus wanted to do. Jesus came instead, and instead of fighting fire with fire, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. In other words, my kingdom doesn't work the way the kingdoms of this world do. The kingdoms of this world fight fire with fire. They force their way. They force their rule upon people. They force their authority upon people. My kingdom doesn't work that way. In Jesus' kingdom, he had the power of God and he could have defeated the Romans. Surely he could have called down 10,000 angels, but what would that have accomplished? Simply setting up another earthly kingdom that operated by power and forced people to obey and filled with all of the same problems that earthly kingdoms are always filled with. Corruption. Misuse of power. And people would still have the same core problem that we've always had. A sinful heart that separates us from God. A relationship that's broken. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so Jesus offered Jerusalem a better choice. They wanted a Messiah to come and fight fire with fire. But instead Jesus comes and he says, repent of your sins and turn to God. Stop doing the things that you're doing. And start living the way God intended for you to live. And Jesus said, you need to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Stop chasing after your own selfish ambitions and dreams. And justifying the ends or justifying the means by the ends. Stop doing things that way. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And to a people who said, you need to come in and drive out these Romans, you need to fight fire with fire, he says, I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Instead of fighting the Romans fire with fire, if they tell you to carry their pack for a mile, you need to carry it for two miles. If someone takes your coat off of your back, give them your shirt too. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he also said, I want you to go into all the world 
And I want you to encourage everyone everywhere to live like this. Because my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom includes everyone. It's open to the people of Jerusalem. It's also open to the Romans who are fighting against you. And it's open to people who live in Iran and Pakistan and Russia and America and China and everywhere. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is open to everyone. And it's not about what country you live in and whose kingdom on earth you are trying to support. My kingdom is not of this world. It's something bigger and something better. It's something eternal. And even as Jesus gave Jerusalem the choice, he knew the tragic choice they would make. I want to share with you a story of how Jerusalem actually did win their independence from the Roman Empire. You probably don't know this story because it's not talked about in history classes very much, but it's true. This is not some sermon thing that a pastor's making up. This is real history. In 66 AD, after being fed up with the way the Romans were treating the people of Jerusalem, they finally rebelled and they started an insurrection in Jerusalem. And of course, Roman soldiers came to try to put it down, but there were so many and all the civilians, everyone who lived in Jerusalem was just so fed up that they all got angry and they all fought against the Roman soldiers and there were just too many of them. The Roman soldiers could not resist and they were either killed or driven from the city along with the pro-Roman king, Agrippa II. They all fled the city. Well, of course, Jerusalem was free, but for how long? Very soon, a Roman legion arrived from Syria in order to restore order. And they fought their way into the city, but they realized they didn't have the supply lines and things that they needed and the reinforcements they needed, and so they retreated. And in 66 AD, the Judean provincial government was formed. And a former high priest of Israel was appointed as the head of the government. They even minted their own coins. It was an important symbol. This coin, for the first time in Jerusalem, since being under Roman rule, no longer had the image of a Roman emperor on it. Instead, it simply said, the shekel of Israel. And then on the other side, it said, the freedom of Zion. And so Jerusalem was ruled by the Judean provincial government from only 66 A.D. to 68 A.D. But there was so much infighting among the rebels that almost the entire government was assassinated one by one as everybody in the, the city fought against each other trying to, get, to gain power. On April 14th and 19, and April 14th in 70 AD, three days before the beginning of Passover, the Roman army arrived and laid siege to Jerusalem. Jerusalem at this time was bloated with over a million people who had come to the city to celebrate Passover. 
Three Roman legions surrounded the city, allowing no one in or out. The Jerusalem defenders, made up of vicious gangs and factions who had been at war with each other only a few days earlier, and for four years they had been fighting each other, they now found themselves surrounded by an overwhelming and organized Roman force. They had no idea what to do or how to work together to defend the city. Among their genius ideas, one of the things that they did was they decided, let's go through and destroy all of the food in the city of Jerusalem. That way, God will have to come and save us because we'll be desperate and he's merciful. The Romans lay siege to Jerusalem for five months. Can you imagine being trapped in a city for five months? A city that had swollen to twice its size, nothing to eat. And inevitably, the Romans built siege works. They breached the walls of the city, came in. The last holdouts gathered themselves in the holy temple thinking that they would be safe there and they could hold out, but that didn't stop them either. The Romans came in and destroyed everything, including the temple of Jerusalem. Jewish historian Josephus claimed that 1.1 million people died in the siege of Jerusalem, either by famine, disease, or sword. After the Romans came in and killed every armed person in the city, they also killed all of the elderly of the city because they didn't want to have to try to deal with them. 97,000 people that were left in the city were forced into slavery. Those that were under 17 were sold into servitude. The Romans celebrated by parading the menorah and the temple of the bread of God's presence through the streets of Rome. These were items that had not been seen by any human eyes except the high priest before the parade. Abigail, Abigail von Buren, who started the Dear Abbey column in 1956, once said that people who fight fire with fire usually end up with ashes. That is definitely what happened to Jerusalem. Jesus has a better way. He offered Jerusalem a better way. They refused it. Instead, they chose Barabbas and crucified Jesus. And we see the results of that decision in actual history. How about you? What will you choose? Will you choose what seems the most natural to the sinful human heart? Fight fire with fire. Or would you instead choose the more narrow path, the one that few walk upon, but the only one that leads to life, to healing, to peace, and eternal salvation? Jesus pleads for you today, as he pleaded with Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago. Words in Luke 19, 41. 
how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. And you can. You can turn to Jesus today. You can turn away from the fire and turn to the healer. You can choose his way over the world's way. Will you? Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your son Christ to come and show us the better way, the good way, the way of peace, a way that's not of this world, a way that is better than anything this world can offer. We pray, O oh God, for the faith and the courage to follow in his footsteps, to every day take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow our Lord and Savior. Lord, if there's anyone here who needs to make that choice today to follow him as Lord, I pray, O oh God, that you would convict their heart and bring them to you. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Christ. Amen.